I am a big fan of those boards because that's actually that's where my first my, my poem went and I just loved them and I actually felt for me as much as like having like a Sunday Times bestseller having my poem on the the transport for London board was like I've seen your it. name on that board a few times I've made it <laughs> I get the tube a lot I get the tube a lot With thanks to Baileys, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Vic Hope and I'm your host for season five of the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, the podcast that asks women with lives as inspiring as any fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. We have a phenomenal lineup of guests for 2022, and I guarantee you'll be taking away plenty of reading recommendations. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Bookshelfie. I'm Vic Hope, and I'm so excited to be your host this season. Also, excitingly, this year's Women's Prize shortlist is out now, and the six amazing authors and their books can all be found on our website, www.womensprizeforfiction.co.uk. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to the brilliant TV and radio presenter and author, Laura Whitmore, best known for presenting shows like I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now, Survival of the Fittest, and of course, Love Island. She's become a familiar face on our screens, but she's also a regular voice on her own BBC Radio 5 live series, The Laura Whitmore Show. She's an actress as well, having played Cleo Maury alongside Shane Ritchie, Bill Ward and Stephen Billington in the stage adaptation of Not Dead Enough. She's even competed on Strictly and recently... The Great Celebrity Bake Off. Her self-help book, No One Can Change Your Life Except For You, was an instant Sunday Times bestseller and the paperback is coming out in July. It is so great to have you on the podcast today. Laura, welcome. Yay, thank you for having me on. And I'm so happy that we get to talk about books now because we've just learned that computers are not my thing. <laughs> we had a couple of ins and outs getting it but this is just this is 2022 we're still doing this we're still having to connect through so many zooms and skypes and making the internal mic the main mic and then sometimes the video is <laughs> not working and sometimes we're on mute but we're here now and laura we have talked about lots of things in the time that we've known each other but i don't think ever books no it's strange no. isn't it yeah. we should yeah but um, we have, we've worked together. We go, we go way, way back, MTV days. And, yeah. um, and it's, it's so lovely to see how well you're doing and how great you're doing. And, um, and I know you're always a big supporter of other people as well. And it's just, yeah, just, just love seeing everyone doing so well now. And, and we have never talked about books. We've talked about clothes. We've never talked we about, have talked about yeah. clothes. <laughs> we've talked a lot. So when I first started at MTV and I was a runner and Laura's the presenter, um, you used to get sent clothes, obviously, to wear on the telly and anything that didn't fit or you didn't want or you'd worn once and, you know, didn't want it to go to waste. You were so kind to me. You used to bring me in these clothes and you'd be like, you could just take them. And at the time, I had no money and I will be forever, ever, ever grateful <laughs> because it was the most exciting thing in the world. Well, I also, I also had that situation. I used to wear like the same thing over and over again. I used to wear this um, denim skirt that was... Oh, 
I don't even know if I ever washed it. I'm like, I really should have worn some of those clothes people sent. But I'm like, no, I'm happy with what I have. I don't know who I was kidding. Mm-hmm. No, but in those days, it was the it was like the height of fashion and denim skirt. And like we, we were all really into tights and leggings under the skirt. Oh, tights, the I know. I don't yeah. know if I ever shaved my legs. <laughs> we didn't need to. Well, Laura, I know that you're a big reader, like in, in spite of the fact we never talked about books together, because you sent over 10 book choices, then edited it down to seven. We had to push mm-hmm. to get you to, to choose just five. So it's probably really safe to say that you are very influenced by books, right? Yeah. And I think that probably comes from my mom. Um, just growing up, my mom, my mom is a big reader. Um, she still has like bookshelves of, of books. And, and I remember going to the library as a kid and having your membership card. And I used to love, I love, even to this day, we have a new local library that's just opened up. And uh there's something about the library, the community feel of getting a book, borrowing a book and and giving it back and passing it on to someone else. And a lot of the books that I mention are kind of books that maybe were given to me as gifts or someone read it and said, you should read it. And I love that. I love I like the whole idea of what I suppose a book club is in a way about passing it on. So, yeah, for for as long as I know, this has always been books in the house and I mean a wide range. I mean, there's all sorts. So yeah. I don't want to like be here and be like, oh, hi, Brett. I mean, we've read everything everything what sort of books do you gravitate towards or or have you in the past um sort of changed the type of books that you love um I remember I remember my favorite book as a kid was uh, Matilda by Roald Dahl and that was you know a kid who's obsessed with books um I remember uh my mom had a lot of my mom read everything but she did have a lot of self-help books which I think at the time I was just like I couldn't compute, my little brain couldn't compute like what a self-help book is, why you're helping yourself. Like normally a book would be a story or, mm. you know, using your imagination or it'd be an autobiography, a true story, um, something based on history. So self-help books, it took me, a, and now I am that person who loves a self-help yeah. book. <laughs> I have become my mother. Um, but it took me a while to grasp what that was and that it wasn't some fluffy, airy, fairy book. Well, you've written your own self-help book. What can yeah, I have, to do that? I know. I know. And um, it, was an, it was an incredible process to write. And I feel like writing is a huge legacy. You know, f- long after we go, these stories are, are, are still there. And people can, like music, we, you know, we perceive a song to mean so many different things. And the author no longer has ownership over it. And even, you know, I've had, like I brought out my first book last year and I've had so many gorgeous messages from people, but sometimes people will, will say, oh, I read this chapter, this chapter on vulnerability and I, this meant this to me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think that it could relate to that. Um, and that's that's the joy of, of storytelling, be it real stories or not. It's so true. Like what you mentioned about pressing a book into someone's hands because you mm. feel like it might resonate with them, but it's so open to interpretation and the worlds that we can be taken to could be so yeah. disparate and it's so exciting. It's so evocative. Well, let's get into your first bookshelfy book, which is Animal by Sarah Pascoe. Animal combines autobiography and evolutionary mm. history to create a really funny, fascinating insight into the forces that mould and affect modern women. It's mm-hmm. a laugh out loud investment investigation that helps us understand and forgive our animal urges and insecurities. What do you love about this book? Um, I, lo- I love Sarah. I love Sarah. I think she's 
a hugely smart, talented woman. Um, I got this book as a present from my now husband, but it was one of the first things he ever gave me. So we'd, we hadn't been dating that long. So it must have been about four or five years ago. Um, and he gave it to me as a present. That was a good sign. I was like, okay, yeah. this is, this is okay. a, this is a good thing. We can connect on a, a level. <laughs> yeah. We can connect. And as I was reading, I was like, this is a brilliant book. Like, I feel, okay, I feel I feel good. This is the, the right person to be with. Yeah. Um, um, and for me, just kind of drawing on things that you, you've said there it's you know it's funny it's smart it's sad um it's a conversation about about us humans about our brains about our bodies our inner workings it's all backed up though by by science and experiences and and sarah is is just so thorough when it comes to to research um i kind of feel like it's a book that feeds your brain Mm. but but you can also laugh out loud as well um it's silly about lots of things and then serious about some um and it's a really in investigation to us as humans and although she's speaking about the female anatomy i think it's a incredible read for any man to read as well and um and it's personal like she talks a lot about you know her body about consent about abortion um and about relationships and um, this investigation she did, which really made me think, like whether you want to have children or not, apparently we're drawn to somebody, um, be it, you know, your same gender or the opposite of sex. You're drawn to somebody that you think would give you a good child. Right. Whether you want to have children or not. Right. And it's this, she backs it up by all the signs. She yeah. refers to like the animal kingdom and how we're very much like animals and... And it's, it's laugh out loud. But then, as I said, there's moments she talks about her own experiences with relationships that are heartbreaking. Um, and I, it's the one book I say everybody should read. You are already a fan of Sarah Pascoe, as you said. She was actually a judge on the Women's Prize in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm quite curious about the process of writing when you're known for something else. Like Sarah is a comedian. Yeah. You're a, yeah. a presenter, broadcaster. Um, yeah. do, do you worry about how it's going to be received when you're entering into sort of uncharted territory? The one thing, and I don't know if this, did one person tell me this or have I kind of picked it up from lots of people over the years? Whatever you do, even if it's, you know, not how people normally see you, if it's, you know, you're going down a different lane, whatever you do, just be good. So yeah. if you're going to write a book that people don't think you you, you're, you would write, just make sure it's a good book. So whatever it is, same with Sarah. Like she's a she's a comedian, she's a brilliant comedian, but she also tackles huge issues in a really well thought out way. So just, I think you can do anything if you're good enough. Um, I'm probably not going to be a stand up comedian because I don't think I'd be good enough. So I, <laughs> I'll give it. But a there's go. lots you're of this. No, you're funny. Make me laugh all the time. Know. <laughs> right. uh, you know what? Maybe I maybe I would be maybe good. I'm not going to knock myself. But I I don't have the time, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of honing yes. to be that good at that. Um, and it's a real skill. So I just think whatever you do, and this is so well researched. Like this wasn't a book she just wrote over a short amount of time. The same when I came to write my book, I kind of felt like it was four years. Right. in the writing there were a lot of issues I touched on in articles I'd written about before and um, we're bringing out the paper back in, in July and I've written an extra chapter for that but it almost took me a year to write that chapter <laughs> that, that oh, chapter so when it, when it comes when it comes to oh what you know when are you going to write the next book I'm like oh I don't know 10 years <laughs> yeah I just wrote one seriously just, give, me yeah, a break. give me a break it takes time and you're doing so so many yeah. other things I think people don't always realise that um, yeah and 
animal is, as you say, about about womanhood in all its guises, on yeah. every level, um, and it's about feminism as well. Have you yeah. have you always been a feminist? It's it's funny, isn't it? Because feminism is such a people find it a hard word to to define. Because I guess it's changed and evolved, but. Um, I always grew up with this strong female presence. Actually, the first chapter in my book is literally about all the women in my life yes. um, and the women that came before me, like my, yeah. my grandmother, my great grandmother and my mom. And I, you know, I was raised, um, uh, I have a great relationship with my dad, but it was just me and my mom in the house Um, they weren't together. And uh, my mom, I, I know I talk in my book about like my mom in the 80s, like, you know, she was a career woman, she was working. Um, and I think I was the only one at that time, now it's different, but the only one kind of in the late 80s, early 90s, whose mom was a full-time, you know, working single mother uh, in, in 80s Ireland. And it really kind of, I think, shaped me um, yeah. to think you can do it all. You can have a child. Or, I mean, it's hard, but y- you can do it. And I think for me, that's what feminism is. And it's that sisterhood um, of support. And I even look at the generations before me and my, my grandmother, when she was 14, her mom died and she kind of raised the younger children. And, you know, that's that's all feminism for, for me. That's how I define it. It's just um, kind of this grasp of hardworking women doing great things um and then I think the issue of equality is something that I've first kind of thought about with when Mary Robinson was the first um president of Ireland first female president of Ireland sorry not first president first female president of Ireland and and she told me what feminism was and she was speaking about these issues that I kind of my little brain was trying to you know I'm looking about these self-help books at home (laughs) in my mom's bookshelf and then my brain was just like it was like a sponge just absorbing all this information all these brilliant women around me yeah, I think one of my favourite quotes that I've seen um, of yours is, can you be on the cover of FHM <laughs> and write about feminist issues? Yes, you fucking can. <laughs> yes, yes you, can. you can. And I think that's, I think it's better now. I think that these are conversations that we have now, but before they were like, it was one or the other. What box are you in? Yeah. Can you be, can you work for, can you work for MTV? And, you know, you've gone to Cambridge. Why have you gone, why are you working for MTV? You, you know, like, like, I would you speak like all to, these languages. Why do you to. do that? <laughs> it's like, because you want to, because it's, yes, it's fun. Because it's fun. I'm allowed to have a nice I, time. You know, yeah, it's that, I get asked that question all the time with, um, you know, I, I've, my background's journalism. I work on Love Island. I love it all. I, you know, I'll work on shows that I really like and that I think I can be good at. Um, and that's what it all comes down to, not, not having to choose. You mentioned before the importance of uplifting other women, supporting other yeah. women. You have your podcast as well, Hear Her Voice. It's all about women in music. And it's so full of positivity and ambition. It's infectious. Is this something that you set out to do? Um... I I was approached initially by um, Universal about doing something with women in music, but I just wanted to do it the right way. And I wanted it to be, it's not about me, it's about the artists. And we had some really incredible women speak, um, like Yola, um, who's in the new Elvis film, which I can't wait to see, um, self-esteem, and some really great stories. But it's, I always think when you do a podcast or when you interview someone, and you're probably the same, I never go into it thinking this is what I want them to say. Um, and I think for this, I was surprised by some of the interviews. Um, the joys with podcasts is sometimes it's not live radio. You can kind of let people talk and see where yeah. it goes. Um, and uh, a very good friend of mine, Nicola Roberts, was on. And I know she's always very cautious with interviews. And probably so she should be because, I mean, she's been through it all and she 
had her first job ever was very, very, very public. And I just wanted women to have space to talk about things the way they wanted to talk about it. And um, that podcast gave us that space. And I think it's beautiful. And it's got music in there as well. Star Wars Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Cassian Andor, Empire is choking us. I need all the heroes I can get. From the creators of Rogue One. There is an organized rebel effort. Get a hunt started. Witness the beginning. This is what revolution looks like. Of rebellion. I'm tired of losing. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? Star Wars Andor, original series streaming September 21st, exclusively on Disney+. 18+, plus. subscription required. T's and C's apply. Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Looking for a treat to pair with your favourite book? Bailey's is the perfect accompaniment to enjoy either over ice or over coffee. There are no better friendships than those formed around brilliant books. And since you're listening, we're guessing you love books as much as we do. The Women's Prize has created an exclusive community that gives you a bookish backstage pass, offering surprises and freebies, plus unmissable reading recommendations and book chat from our founder friends, including me, Vic Hope. Search for Women's Prize Friend to become a friend today. We cannot wait to meet you. We're going to move now on to your second bookshelfy book, which is Against Love Poetry by Evan Boland. It's a collection of powerful poems written against the perfections and idealisations of traditional love poetry. The man and woman in these poems, the husband and wife, and custodians of ordinary, ageing human love. Tell us a little bit about why this resonated with you. Well, I love poetry um, and... Actually, so much so that my book kind of came about because of a little poem that I had written that um, was on the tubes on International Women's Day called She Is You. Um, I wouldn't even compare myself to someone like Evan Boland, but um, Evan Boland first kind of came into my radar when I was at school because right. you learn about all these poets. And and Ireland is a, you know, is a beautiful island of, of saints and scholars, as they say. But poetry was always, I guess, a man's preserve in Ireland. Um and then came Evan Boland, who basically shook this patriarchy to its roots and kind of changed the canon forever. And and for me, um, it started off, you know, I really got to dissect it through school. Um, and then afterwards, kind of became a little bit, not obsessed with her, but but what she was talking about as I evolved. And this particular book, I think this is, came out just after the millennium. Um, against love poetry and me kind of understanding love as I'm getting older and even going back to it more recently um, especially when she speaks of marriage and speaking mm. of like she she ended up moving to to London when she was little because her her dad was a Irish ambassador in London and you know what it's because I, I went through like you know 14 years ago moving over from Dublin to London and what that was like and kind of you know who am I and still feeling that really strong Irish Bond. Also, she went to school with Mary Robinson, who's like my icon, who I mentioned already, the first Irish female president. And um, and in fact, I think it was when Mary Robinson um, became president, she actually read out one of Van Boland's poems 
um, at her inauguration and uh, it's, it's a poem called The Singers but this one I ch- it was really hard I, c- I could have just done a whole list of loads of, of her poetry but I picked this one because it's the idea of what love is and, and how it changes and this is an ode to her husband um, Evan Bullen sadly passed away actually at the very beginning of kind of lockdown and the pandemic I always think I'd be really interested if she was still here what she would have thought of the last two years what she would have and written how that would, about what she would have written about yeah um but um, but back to this, the, the first half of the book is kind of about, uh, the first half of, the, of it and the poems are about marriage and what marriage is um, and kind of those questions that long-standing couples kind of ask themselves, um, you know, the lives that we, we've lived when we were young and I kind of, not that I'm old now, but you know, there's definitely, you reach a stage where, you know, you're like, you remember back your 20s and your teenagers there's growth. fondly. There's growth. There's growth. There's growth. Yeah, I mean, the longest relationship I've ever been. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it honours the, you know, the the complications and contradictions of married life. Um, and not just, I guess when you think of, when you think of love and poetry, you kind of think of the romantic aspect of sonnets and you know lust um well this is kind of finding beauty in the the ordinary in the humdrum and yeah I, I love it I always think that poetry does that so gorgeously and having a, a little poetry book on you at all times um that you can just pull out and remind yourself of the beauty that's all around us in the mundane like you just said is one of life's little joys it really helps you turn the gray to like multicolor as you're just walking mm. through the world um and as you said this collection touches on emigration as well um yeah you, your irish heritage is something that i feel is a huge part of you from you know every time I've ever spoken to you I feel like there's been some we've talked a little bit about Ireland in some way shape or form and there's been a story um yeah how how did you negotiate coming over and and holding on to something that is so intrinsically a part of who you are yeah it, it's difficult sometimes because that sense of belonging I think we all need to feel like we belong somewhere I think Irish people have a great sense of community no matter where you go in the world the yeah. Irish will find each other <laughs> um but it's hard as well because it's that sense of finding that belonging but also belonging nowhere like you know when I first started on MTV and I would pronounce things differently to to how Londoners would pronounce things or English people would pronounce things and then think oh am I wrong but then if I pronounce it that way then people at home will be like oh no look at you you're you're West Brit now or you're you know you're you've changed your accent or now you're British and and it's it's so hard because you feel like you don't fit in anywhere. And I've really kind of been tackling that. And that's why actually that poem um, that Van Boland has um, within Against Love Poetry um, really resonated with me of your accent changing a little bit. And um, yeah, the, the changes of your voice and your accent and you know people moving away from the homelands. It's, of course, it's going to change. Of course, you're going to adapt. Um, but then not fitting in anywhere. But... I, I'm really lucky, I guess, is such a close bond between um, like London and 
and just outside Dublin where I grew up because there's a lot of Irish people here. I actually, I love living here because I feel when I grew up in Ireland, I lived a very sheltered life in some way. I didn't really know many people with other religions or from, from different backgrounds. You come to London, you see that. And then in a way that helps me communi- connect with, with different groups of people. Like even the area I live in in North London, it's very Irish, but there's a huge like Jamaican community and a huge Portuguese community. And it's and it's like all these people that are just living in this one city. Um, but I'm still navigating what it is to be Irish and that huge longing of of home. Mm-hmm. There's also such a sing-song quality to Irish poetry that <laughs> yeah. I've always been obsessed with since studying at school. Like, oh, it's just the lilt. You could you could mm. sing these poems. They they're melodious and so beautiful. I'm really um I'm really jealous of people who can I waffle on a lot. Like I, I waffle. No, no, someone asks me a question. <laughs> no, but I'll waffle and I'll waffle. While like I'm always really jealous of poets who can say so much in in such short space. They can just write one line and it's just created this visual that chapters and chapters could never sum up. Yeah, so evocative and so loaded. And um, we were always yeah. told in, in radio about the economy of words, like get to yeah. the funny fast and then get out of there again. <laughs> and I think that I poets that. would probably make really good radio presenters for that reason. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> Let's move on now to your third book, which is Love Warrior by Glennon Doyle. A memoir of marriage and self-discovery by New York Times bestselling author Glennon Doyle. The chronicle of Glennon's personal beautiful and brutal journey is also the story of the healing that is possible for any of us when we refuse to settle for good enough. Tell us a bit about this book and when you first read it. And so this will kind of go, I guess, under self-help. It's a memoir, but it serves as as self-help. And I actually got it, speaking of where you get books from, from my friend Brit, um, who lives in L.A., and she gave it to me. It must be about five years ago. I think it came out about five years, maybe longer. And uh, and I always, when someone gives me a book, I always make them write in the inside just to remind me. And also oh, if I pass so it on nice. to someone else, if yes. I pass on to someone else, that I might eventually get it back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I got it from my, my friend, Brit, who, who I don't really see a lot. And actually we were kind of connected through a mutual friend, almost as a friendship date. Do you ever have a friendship date? Someone says, you, you get on really well with yeah. them. You should uh, you should hang out with them. And it was like a first date with a girl I'd never met before, but I was in LA for a bit. I didn't really know many people out there. And we just connected. We were very similar. She passed me on this book to read um, called Love Warrior from Glennon Doyle. And I didn't know who Glennon was then. Um, she's obviously since brought out book um untamed which was huge um and look and love warrior was big but i just i didn't know it um but the very start of this book um the the first line and i love it it's i was loved if love could prevent pain i'd never have suffered and for me from the first line I kind of had this realization that it's not about what's going on around you like you can have so much love coming at you you can have bad things coming at you but you can have good things coming at you but until you love yourself or until it comes from you the pain won't stop or suffering won't stop so you can't put that blame on other people which kind of transcends to to different things that I talk about in my book um, and actually I don't know if you ever, ever saw it but I would recommend I love a bit of Oprah and I love Oprah's soul session and um, Glenn Doyle does one of them that's just brilliant um but it's, it's how she writes about it she writes you know her, from her childhood about about being a mother and there was one concept that she speaks about um 
about this being small. She always tried to make herself smaller when she was younger. And it, she speaks about, you know, her, her body issues and, um, you know, not being comfortable in herself and eating disorders that she had. But but on a, on a but on another level that a lot of women try to make themselves smaller in a room just to not yeah. fill that space because we feel we don't deserve that space. And it's okay to take up a lot of space. It's all right. But, and that's something that clicked with me. I mean, you know, when I was younger, it was, you know, you kind of feel smaller when you're in a room and you're unsure and you, your body physically becomes smaller. Um, we're always trying to, you know, be smaller so we'll fit into clothes or we eat a certain diet. Uh, and, and that we don't take up too much space in a room. Literally, we don't take up too much space in a room. And it kind of knocks that on the head. But it took her a long time to get to that realization. So I felt very lucky that I read that book when I did because it really helped me grapple things that I was kind of going through in my head. As women, we're so often encouraged to feel that we're either not enough or we're too mm. much. Yeah. Exactly like you say, make yourself smaller or or change something about yourself to fit in with what we're told is yeah. good enough. And you've spoken so much about the pressures on young women, the pressures on those, particularly in the public eye. How do honest and relatable stories like this help you overcome self-doubt? It makes you feel like you're not the only one, that yeah. we all doubt ourselves, like every single one of us. No matter who you are, the most successful people in the world, the most arrogant people in the world, everyone <laughs> doubts themselves yeah. at some time. They might they might perceive to be confident, but but they're not. Um, and I think it's I'm always very cautious sometimes when I talk about myself personally because I feel like things can be misconstrued. I have to you have to protect yourself. You don't have to give all yourself away. So when you're telling stories personal stories, you do it your way in your own time. Glennon does that so well in this book because writing your own book is hugely powerful and you have ownership and control over how you write it um and it's not edited in a way that is like um, a pull quote um so for me telling stories is really important once you get the opportunity to do it in the right way um, and I actually had Glenn came on, Glenn came on my radio show um about two years ago and you know, we, I think it was, maybe it was at the beginning of the pandemic and it was a tough time for so many people. But she said, if we're not sad, we'll never know what happy is, which is really simple. It but really we is. can't be happy all the time. But when we go through some really tough time, when we get out of it, then we really appreciate that. And this book, I guess it just shows what you can achieve when you're willing to look at yourself your life she was in a, a situation which she wasn't happy in and got out of and she made those necessary changes herself because it was only her who could do that it's perspective isn't it and gratitude yeah. as well for, for what we do yeah. have that, that really I feel has been the key to to happiness and yeah. self-love do you feel like you're still on a journey of self-love do you think you, oh, yeah. you worked it out <laughs> Oh my God, no, <laughs> never will. And sometimes I say things, I'll say things like to be like, just what I like, just what I just said there. Oh, to be sad is okay because then you'll appreciate happiness. Uh, sometimes I'm like, fuck that. Like, I don't want to be sad. Yeah, <laughs> be happy. Um, or I'll get myself in a mood about something or I'll blame someone else for something. I'll be like, I can't believe they did that. I'm so, you know, even though I'm like, well, I need to, I, I don't have control over other people. It's only myself. So I need to watch my reaction. And I always try to watch my reaction. But sometimes I react the way, I don't know, us humans react. We're, you we're are emotive human. people. Yes. yes. 
so often the the advice that you know you would give to oh, someone yeah. else that you would the way that you would talk to a friend you find it so difficult to say to yourself the advice to to oh. live by yourself because you're a human being and of you do course. get sad and i've been i'm like when my friends are going through like relationship problems i'm there with the great advice do you think i took it myself back in the yeah. day no not at all <laughs> have you found biscuitiers yet Biscuitiers are the original hand-iced biscuit gifting company offering beautiful biscuit collections for any occasion. All of their gorgeous biscuits are lovingly hand-iced, one at a time, by artists at the Ministry of Biscuits in London. One of my absolute favourites is the Butterfly Collection. The biscuits are absolute works of art. They look like perfect hand-painted butterflies and come in the most beautiful tin. You're bound to make an impression with these. And Biscuiteers are offering our lovely listeners 15% off your first order with the code LOVEFICTION. So for the very best present ideas, head to biscuiteers.com now. Your fourth bookshelfy book is Butterfly by Yusra Mardini. The inspiring story of how one woman saved fellow refugees from drowning and how she went on to become an Olympic swimmer herself. I mean, an incredible story an unbelievable story tell us why this book has made your list i just can't believe this is a real story um (laughs) it is becoming a film but if you had watched this you like you'd be like this film's a bit far-fetched this couldn't happen yeah Yeah. Um, but it is the most beautiful needed story when i when i first read it and i I actually again i was very lucky that i actually got to interview um use for on two occasions um but she was a refugee um who became an olympian it's a simple story like that and um it's a real insight i guess to to the challenges uh, for those you know who are trying to settle into different cultures and nations and i know that's something that's going to resonate with so many people today when you look at what's happening in ukraine and and the movement of people and the amount of um, refugees all over the world. Um, but this, uh, I, I read this book and then I interviewed her. And and then I there was even more I got from her having read the book and then her talking about things. And there's one little thing I'm just going to talk about now because it really hit me. And it was basically she was, they, they were um, escaping from Syria. They paid a lot of money. They had a lovely life. And people forget that when you're a refugee, yeah. like most refugees have lovely lives at home. Like she had a lovely life, a lovely family. Her and her sister had to flee. Um, you know, the family broken up. And she was, she's a really good swimmer. She did swim lessons. So when their boat broke down and they were trying to get to, to Greece, her and her sister jumped off the boat and and pushed the boat. And the, I mean, she describes it so much better than I'm describing it now. So please just read the book. Um, but there's one bit where she said that they were coming in the freezing water into land onto this beach. And, you know, the hours and hours of what they've gone to, not knowing if they'd all survive and looking at the beach and all these twinkly lights and knowing there were people on that beach who were like on their holidays or ordering a cocktail or having this very different life to her basically hanging on for her life. And and I think it really affected me when you look at what's happening in Ukraine and we're sitting here, you know, in the comfort of my own home talking about books that I really enjoy on my laptop and like the biggest ta- tackle I've had to deal with is my I couldn't make the sound work. And it's this juxtaposition we have of, you know, these normalities happen day to day and these other people living these horrific situations but you kind of have to have both that's what the world is and and she she talks about it with such understanding but it's it's her 
her fight, her passion. And, um, you know, when she's starting this new life, ending up at the Olympics and swimming there and and speaking about it. So, uh, do you know, I, I just I needed this book because sometimes I get bogged down by things that aren't important. And then I, I read this, talked to her and was like, shut up, Laura. What was she like in person? What, what, how did she make you feel when she was in the like, I want to be her friend. Like, yeah. just like a cool, lovely girl that likes, likes fashion, would probably talk to us about clothes, um, enjoys music and just a person. And sometimes we kind of think it's a them and us if, if you're not coming from um, a, a war-torn country or uh, somewhere that's gone through a lot of devastation. And, and I guess... One thing that she's still doing is like she's continuously to fi- she's continuously fighting for you know the dignity um, and well being of countless refugees and it's that dignity is that respect um, and the importance. Um, I know she's an ambassador now, um, a goodwill ambassador for for the UN and and I think for a lot of young women who are finding themselves displaced, it's to have her as a role model is is beautiful. So brilliant. It's important for us always to remember that where we're born is simply luck. There is nothing separating us at birth at all. You could be born in a war-torn country. You could be born in East London and be sipping on an artisanal coffee um, while doing a podcast in a Mm -hmm. studio. Um, But we are all human beings. And and as you say, we, we should constantly be reminded of the need to respect one another. And I think that's what books can do. They can teach us empathy because we walk a day in other people's shoes. We walk a day in so many other people's shoes. Every novel does that. That's why reading is so important. Um, And you talk there about the drive and ambition and passion and fire. What gives you your drive and ambition and passion and fire? What keeps you going even when life sometimes feels trickier? My favourite word is hope because... No matter what the situation, I always hope it can be better. And that doesn't mean it will be, but it's that hope. And I think if we didn't have that hope, like humanity is lost. Because um, sometimes, you know, you, you watch the news and it just feels like you, you go online, there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of anger, but you you hope that it will be better. You You, you hope that there's people like Yusra Mondini and and even do you know what during lockdown I remember it's the first time I got to know my neighbours that community feel yes, like, oh, like and I loved it I was <laughs> yeah. like I've lived it I've lived here for like three years and I didn't know my neighbours my next door neighbour was baking every Sunday and and you know sharing it with everybody and we talked to each other and and it's trying to find the the good and the bad and 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 that hopefulness and I need that I cling on to that and that's what kind of pushes me um to kind of keep going because I mean there's a lot of knocks sometimes you feel like you're being you know knocked from from all sides and it's exhausting and then one person will say something to you you know saying oh I really admire when you said this or that really I was going through a tough time and I read this thing that you wrote and it really really helped me and I'm like oh okay it doesn't matter if everyone's knocking you and you've helped this one person (laughs) like you know that's what gets me through yeah absolutely I saw a quote I think it was like on the tube the other day you know that they write on the boards as you're going down the escalator and it said have hope but not expectations look forward but don't just stand there waiting and I feel like that's what you just really perfectly summed up 
Um, I am a big fan of those boards because yeah. that's actually that's where my first my, my poem went and I just loved them and I actually felt for me as much as like having like a Sunday Times bestseller having my poem on the the transport for London board was like I've seen I've your it. name on that board a few times I've made it yeah you've made you've made it over and over Tell you, I get actually, the tube a lot I get the tube a lot so. a time that you really made it I will remember this um for a long time so you actually carried the Olympic torch in twenty twenty. I have it. I have it in it. my house. You have it. I have it because have everyone it. gets their own one. Yeah, because you pass the fl- people think you pass the torch, but you actually oh, it's just not pass the, the flame. Torch. Right. No, it, no, it is. It is the torch <laughs> because everyone has their own torch, and you pass the flame. So it's like right. a gas canister in the top. So I'd my own, and then the next person had a, like they turn on their gas, and you just pass the flame to the next one. So I actually have it in my house, and actually for anyone who comes into the house, it's the one selfie opportunity. They're like, "Can I get a selfie with the torch?" Has it got pride of place? Where is it on the mantelpiece? Yeah, it's it's, it's hanging high. It's hanging Amazing. high. Amazing. Amazing. So there you go. Something in common with um, Olympic swimmer Yusra Mardini. You have an I Olympic mean, connection. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I will never forget that we had to then whisk you because we were working at MTV at the time. We had to whisk you from running with the Olympic uh, torch to like wireless festival <laughs> to do backstage all, interviews. To, yeah, to then wait to interview. I think it was Drake doing it that year. Yeah, it was Waiting Drake. like three hours to try and get an interview. <laughs> uh, and all I, I remember, I for, because it was, you know, sometimes we end up in these situations that are brilliant. I feel very lucky for things I do, but I don't appreciate them till after um, mm. because you're in this roller coaster. So I didn't realize how big the Olympic torch was and like doing it and what it was. And when I got there, everyone had their families there, like watching and like celebrating. And I had Gareth Butters, who was our, <laughs> with our the camera producer. going, yeah, Laura. <laughs> we were I was like, should I have invited my mom? Street. I should have. <laughs> yeah. We all got to watch it. Um, yeah, Gareth Butters, our lovely producer at the time. It was got up at three AM with me. A day of many, many parts and a life <laughs> of many, many parts. Laura, um, uh, I think that day on. sums up my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We move on now to your fifth and final book this week, which is "The Girl with the Louding Voice" by Abby Duray. This is the fictional story of Aduni, who is a teenage girl growing up in rural Nigeria uh, in a village who longs to get an education so she can find her louding voice and speak out for herself and help other girls like her do the same. Tell us why you picked this book. I read this book during lockdown. Um, And I think it's probably the last book I read before I start reading what to expect when you're expecting and just like loads of books about pregnancy and things like that. And um, (laughs) it is is a a fictional story, but a very powerful and weirdly relatable, even though I can have no idea what it's like growing up in Nigeria and and the, the type of trauma that Aduni faced. But there's issues in there and you'll notice a lot of things that I talk about a lot of the books I refer to they talk about these universal itch issues but in different ways like so whether it's a fictional story about this little girl who was you know made you know put into this arranged marriage and not allowed to have education or whether it's Sarah Pascoe through comedy talking about um you know FGM and different things like that it's it's I I think it's how you tackle things and sometimes these issues can be overwhelming but when they're told through the narrative of of this story of this little girl and and I love how the dialogue is written and I think there's something like 55 chapters but they're all short chapters so it's I read it very quickly because you know you can kind of like fly through the chapters at night time and and also I probably it was probably at a time when I 
constantly could read every day. Yeah, uh, what, a, now, what a great time it was. Love the was lockdown it, do you know what? That. I kind of was. Like now I don't have the luxury of being able to spend even half an hour reading every night because I'm so tired I just fall and asleep. you've got a little one uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And also just like life is back and yeah. busy and it's that FOMO, fear of missing out that you feel you need to do everything. Um, well, yeah, the, the ritual of having a book. Like how I knew it was nighttime was like I might have a glass of wine or dinner and then read some of the book. And uh, and that's how I knew it was. So it, it's for me, I reflect on that as a very special time reading this book. Um, but just a little bit about it. Like I, I, I love how, how Abby writes and um, I guess it, it's not a real story, but it's based on lots of stories that are real. Um, uh, I think she said she first had the idea when she read this news article about this 13 year old house help. Um, and, and then also her, it was inspired by her, her own experiences of rural Nigeria. And, um, and it's just a beautifully written book and, uh, you know, how, how courage can get you through actually a lot of I even refer back to Yusra Mardini like it's, it's really similar traits of these women um in, in all these stories and I think I remember someone said this book it like what did they say they said it it broke their heart but then put it back together again mm-hmm. destroyed and, think, and restored yeah destroyed it yeah <laughs> it's one of the yeah it's one of those books that sometimes I need to what you know reads in the privacy of my own home and not on a bus I've done that before sometimes when you're reading these like really oh I know I've done some oh. ugly crying on buses I I read a little life on a plane back from Nigeria actually I was seeing my family yeah. and I was wailing so loud that the guy next to me said I'm sure it's a beautiful story but can you please be quiet <laughs> <laughs> full-on wailing oh, oh. I feel your pain <laughs> And, yes. and I don't realize I don't realize that I make that face like I my, like my my ugly cry is is pretty up there. This book is oh it's 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 potent and important mm. and you've mm. spoken so much about the importance of owning your voice, telling your mm. own story on your own terms when it comes to your personal life, when it comes to motherhood, when it comes to press intrusion. How did mm. you find your louding voice? That's such a good question. Um, I'm still working on it. Um, I've definitely found it through reading other women's stories. I'm very privileged in that I get to interview so many people. I get to, I get to kind of be this medium to kind of put other people's stories out there. Um, and through watching them, I've really pushed myself to kind of speak out a little bit more when when you're ready. Um, I'm all, I'm always about the level of you can be you know you need to protect yourself as well so always tell your story when you're ready to in a in a way that you feel serves its purpose um, um, and it takes a while to find your voice um, but I'm also very aware of the luxury of having a platform I have a platform that not all women have um, so I as much as it pisses people off sometimes I plan to use it yeah and so you should loudly in your louding Mm. voice (laughs) and I have a very loud voice (laughs) was writing your book a part of finding it and then putting it out into the world yeah um and there was a safety in writing the book because you can kind of 
you, you know, you lock yourself away in a room and you just write, 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 write. And you, it doesn't have to go straight out there. You know, you have time to reread it. And there was definitely lots of edits. Not as many as I thought there would be. Sometimes I'd write something and go, oh, I don't know if I want to put that out there. I might just take that out later, but I'll, I'll write it for now. And then yeah, I'd end up leaving page. it in there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it was, um, it was, it felt, it didn't feel rushed. And maybe that was because of the timing. You know, I did write it during that that time when I wasn't going out a lot um, and the world kind of shut down a little bit um, so I felt that was I, yeah I just don't know when I'll ever get a time like that again but I, I think a lot of the issues I touched on before which made it easier and I didn't push myself too much but I definitely I've mentioned a lot of, of, of women here who are extremely inspirational, but also like the women in my life who maybe aren't famous, like my like my friends and my family and those women around me and men around me who are like huge, huge supporters of women. They've all helped me find that voice because anything I put out there affects the people around me too. Like I, I write a book and I mention my mom in it. Like I have to make sure she's okay with that too because it, it affects everyone. Um, and uh, it's... Yeah, it's just taking your time with things. I think mm-hmm. time is precious. We don't have a lot of it, but we shouldn't rush things either. You've mentioned not having enough time um, and we don't have enough time to mention all of the books that you wanted to bring to the table, but we can give some honourable mentions because I have okay. these um, written down <laughs> in front of me. Daisy and the Six didn't quite make oh the my God, I love Taylor Jenkins Reid. <laughs> yeah, my friend Tori, actually, and we normally give each other books. Again, talking about, I just love, I love passing on books to friends and stuff. So Tori, who's my makeup artist as well, we spend a lot of time together. Um, she gave me this book and I love it um, because it's kind of written as a documentary. And I started reading it thinking it was a true story, but it's not. Um, but um, they are making it into a TV series. Um Reese Witherspoon, Hello Sunshine group. And you know it's going to be good if she has her hands on it. Um, but it's kind of loosely based around a band in the 70s and Daisy's the lead singer. And it kind of reminds me of Fleetwood Mac and I'm a huge fan of Fleetwood Mac. And I've watched a lot of documentaries about them and the dramas that go on behind the scenes. So it's kind of of that vibe. There was another honourable mention that um, we can... We can just say Pride and Prejudice was in there too. Do you know why I had to say that? Because I studied at school like a lot of people and Jane Austen, I mean, you kind of have to give a big shout out to, to that's why I mentioned Van Boland as well, particularly like women writing th- through a time where it was, you know, heavily male dominated. But I still to this day know the first part of that book off, which is, is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession, in possession of a large fortune must be in want of a wife. However, little known the feelings of views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighbourhood that he is considered the rightly possession of one or other of their daughters. Yeah. So I think that's it roughly. But I just, you know, when you learn something at school, I don't even know yes, what I'm Laura. saying, but it's in there. It's in there. It's so in there. It was, that that just flowed. It just fell out of your mouth. It was beautiful. Blech. It was amazing. Uh, and Mr. Darcy, <laughs> everyone's first crush. Yeah. Well, it's a bit I'm of a not, pain though. Well, well, yeah, actually. And we know that now. It's crazy how at the time, like we thought, yeah, this is ideal. Yeah. And it just takes a little bit of living to realise, no, not so. Well, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you choose from those two. But if you could choose or you had to choose one book from your list of five as a favourite, which one would it be and why? That's so mean. Sorry. I That's am sorry, so honestly. mean. I'm going to say, I'm going to do, because she's Irish, Evan Boland, um, Against Love Poetry. Um, because cause it's the only poetry book in there as well. Um, and and it's something I've come back to recently and kind of reread some of those poems and had new meaning. 
Well, Laura, you've been such a delightful guest. I've absolutely adored chatting to you about all of your favourite novels and collections and poems and stories. And I just really hope that you do find the time to escape <laughs> to more books. Do you think you'll, you'll manage to make it work? Oh, I will. I will. I always have. I always have one in my... I'm not very good, but like Kindles, I always have a book in my bag. Oh, yeah. Um, me too. Because if you and I'm, I'm actually I'm going to be traveling a lot this summer, back and forth on a plane. So that's a good time to read. Yeah, the the Love Island novels. I love that. I love that. And and sometimes you need a bit of escape. Is I love Love Island. I'm addicted to it. It's like I just I just love it so much. And then it's nice to get on a plane and then just read about something else. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said before, you're a woman of so many facets. Um, and between Love Island shooting, you can you can escape to completely escape different, different worlds. worlds. I'm excited yeah. for you. Laura, thank you so, so much. It's Thanks, been an absolute Vic. joy having you on the podcast. It's been so lovely. Thank you for having me on. I'm Vic Oates, and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Please rate and review this podcast. It is the easiest way to help spread the word about the female talent you've heard about today. The Women's Prize for Fiction podcast is brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Star Wars Andor, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Cassian Andor, Empire's choking us. I need all the heroes I can get. From the creators of Rogue One. There is an organized rebel effort. Get a hunt started. Witness the beginning. This is what revolution looks like. Of rebellion. I'm tired of losing. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? Star Wars Andor, original series streaming September 21st, exclusively on Disney+. Plus. 18+, plus. subscription required. T's and C's apply.